It's time for JT the Brick. I love my job. I love the opportunity that I can come in here and talk to the Raider Nation. Put some respect on JT the Brick's name. The plan was to get this roster with this new regime. They were not keeping this roster, my friend. Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels were not keeping the roster they inherited from Mayock and Gruden and before that. And there were going to be changes, and we told you. Are you with me on that? Excuses die. The record stands. JT the Brick. That's it. That's all we've been telling you all year if you've been listening. They have a plan. I'm not saying it's going to work. It's going to be 100%. But I'm behind the plan. The plan is to get it up to speed where it's really good for a long period of time. You are what your record is. Sound off like you got a pair. And now, JT, the man to miss the legend. Here's JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody. Hour number two of the show brought to you by the DeCastaverde Law Group. Alex and Orlando DeCastaverde, proud partners of this show. Tremendous in the community. If if you get into an accident, you need help. Call the DeCastaverde Law Group, 702-222-9999. I find more of their billboards around town. I know what they do in the community. We talk Raiders all the time, but Alex DeCastaverde, who listens to the show, is thrilled with the fact that he could be a partner of ours as much as we are thrilled that we're a partner of his, trying to get the word out with all of these attorneys in town, people screaming over each other, testosterone flying, Go to the gentlemen who have the best reputation and legacy in this town through their father. Uh, Latino, tremendous business in the Latino community. Everything they've done in the state of Nevada, but clearly professionals here in Las Vegas, and they'll help. I've met their clerks, their other lawyers, their partners there. they got a great team. I try to sit down with them often to talk about their victories and everything that they do well, and they say, we're good. We have our reputation here. Just let them know that we're here to help. If you get into an accident, the DeCastaverde Law Group, 702-222-9999. Put it in your phone. It's real easy. I know you're going to remember the number, 222-9999, but it's good to have if you get into an accident there and at that moment you could get the advice that you need. So that's the gentleman. Those are the gentlemen that I want to recommend to you because they're friends of the show. And I see him at Raider games at Raider Nation, which is good to know as we kick off hour number two. I was shut out in the first hour. I didn't get a Vegas Golden Knight call. So I won't quit. I'm not a quitter. I'm a winner. So I'm going to just reset again and ask where the hockey fan's on. Again, I know there's no show on right now. I just went to the restroom and got a glass of water. There's no one talking sports in the building other than moi, me. I don't know why. I know another station went dark on the dial here a couple of months ago. I don't know what the other shows are doing, but they're not going to the Golden Knight games like I are, and they're not uh, fired up as I am. So let's wake it up. I don't want to get shut out. I want to hear one Golden Knight fan say, JT, I give a crap. You're right. This is our city. We live in Las Vegas. We have a team that can win a championship. I'm with you on that. Okay? You don't have to call, but I want to know that you're out there, and I don't know if you're out there unless you call or tweet. At JT the Brick. Maybe you're more comfortable with Twitter. And just saying, JT, I'm out here. Let us know. Send out. We thought the phones were broken the first hour, but it's not a hockey town. It's not. It's a themed hockey town with performances and people getting excited and taking selfies outside Toshiba Plaza. I'm looking for a hockey fan or two that will jump in. The dry sidle goal to start off the game really was the end of the game. This guy on a penalty on a power play is just lethal. No one can stop this guy, especially Vegas. Drysaddle wins a faceoff out to Bouchard. Left circle, back to the right Bouchard. A shot, knocked down, a rebound, score! Chipped over Brossois as he lunged out to his right. The Oilers strike on the power play. Two minutes and 21 seconds into the game. Leon Drysaddle again. Yeah, that's Dan Duver on all these calls. I thought Vegas made, you know, Bouchard made a couple of early saves that were big. 
Game could have got ugly. That game, this game could have been eight, nine goals for Edmonton. Oh, a couple big saves in the game. The McDavid shorthanded goal was the big one here. Put this up 3 nothing in the first period. The place was dead. The game was absolutely over after this. Theodore at the left side. Poked off his stick. And now Theodore gets in McDavid's way. All the way to the goal. Score! Soft sliding underneath the pads of Brossois. Shorthanded goal for Connor McDavid. Three nothing Oilers. Uh, Dan Duva on the call. As we get to Bruce Cassidy, Bruce Cassidy talked about maybe the emphasis and what they're going to do on the penalty kill because right now they're not doing anything. They cannot man up. They look very soft on the penalty kill, and this better get fixed. Yeah, we did on the on the you know John runs the PK, and we, you know I, he's done it in this league for a long time. Does a great job. Uh, and it's a challenge to against this team and. So we did that after the first two. We got to throw something different at him. Maybe you create a loose puck situation where you get a shorty to get back in the game. Um, so certainly, you know, force them into quicker plays. And it's a dangerous animal. If you're not on time, um, then you're giving them almost easier chances. So I look at the last goal that McDavid scored. He scored from the goal line. Goalie needs to make that save and will. Um, let's go to the other ones. Uh, I know the other night the dry settle had one that was a seam that we, we missed this time. And after that, they outwilled us in front of the net. A little bit of that tonight, too. So there becomes a time where, okay, you're taking away some of those seams. It makes it easier on the goalie. Um, we got we got to do a better job battling. And we've said this. You can't lose every face-off and allow them to every entry in your zone because then they're in their zone the whole time. So the reevaluation might be, okay, how do we limit their ozone time and and... And uh, that's something we talked about yesterday. We have to continue talking about it. Um, you know, that's clears face-offs and doing a better job through the neutral zone as well. Yeah, for Cassidy, this team's got to play for him now. I don't know if they are playing for him. They didn't in that second game. A lot of coaches get hired and fired. Uh, Gerard Gallant just got let go by the Rangers again. It's a hell of a coach. I mean, they, the Rangers are a good team. And they just think, well, they going to blame the coach, blame the players. They got shut out in the game seven. They fired the coach here. For Cassidy, it's important. Mark Stone, in my mind, uh, Mark Stone is an important person here. He's the captain of the team. And he talked about the refs and what was happening along the way here. His team got bullied. Evander Kane was bullying the Vegas Golden Knights, and Vegas didn't answer. They got bullied. They got beat up in fights. This is not a team that's going to win, and this happens at home unless they take back the control and the physicality. Well, it's frustrating, right? Uh, the ref's standing right there. Um, we only got four guys in the ace. They got five. Um, and the refs are just standing there letting them, letting them get hit. So it is frustrating for sure. Uh, you never want to see a teammate um, be getting kind of suckered down like that, uh, especially one who's, who's stuck up for his teammates uh, all, all year, uh, like he has in Keegan. And um, you could see a little frustration at the end there. I think Hager wanted to do right by, by Coley and, um, you know, make sure that's, uh, that's not happening. But um, I would like to see the refs maybe do a little bit better of a job to uh, help out Keegan there. You know, I really wonder what's going to happen now in this series because Vegas needs to take back their pride and they, want, they need to fight. And they need to do something, even if they open up their glove and, like, put it in McDavid's face or just after the whistle, like, say something, chirp. Just show some manly aggression after Edmonton came in and was really laughing at Vegas. No respect for them at all in their physicality. You know, there's no Ryan Reeves on this team. There's no one that could be the authority figure and come out there and say, I'm going to kill you on the next shift. I'm going to come and beat you up on the next shift and intimidate the bench. And when Evander Kane's going by our bench – talking to the team and mocking them, that's got to stop. Now, the problem is if you take it into your own hands and get a penalty, 
Now you put them on the power play and you're dead because they can't stop this power play. They cannot. You, they're, they're well over 50% for a reason. They're going to make uh, – they're going to take advantage of easy shots here and all that. So for the Vegas Golden Knight fans that are out there, uh, I don't know how you get the word out, but some of you fans need to wake up because it's embarrassing that the fan base is selling tickets to Edmonton fans. Uh, that's not going to happen in Edmonton. That's going to be a problem here in Vegas in all sports. People just want to make money and sell tickets. And when they sell tickets in playoff games, I kind of get it, but I wouldn't do it. But I get what people are doing. They're sitting at home going, my $190 ticket that went up 40 bucks for the playoffs, I can triple my money and not go. Well, that's why you heard so many Edmonton fans in the crowd on every Edmonton goal. Ron and Henderson. Ron, go ahead. Start us off this hour. Hey, what's up, JC? How you doing? Good, Ron. Thanks. Yeah, so I kind of want to piggyback off what you said. Uh, yeah, the Knights—they need some uh, it's, hockey's a contact sport, right? You could—it's—it's it's, it's allowed to hit people, right? Mm-hmm. In certain aspects, right? So why can't they do that? It drives me crazy. Uh, you know, this team has played with grit all season long, and you know, I hope that they could pull their head out of their butts because. Edmonton just outmanning them. They're physical, and the Golden Knights are not. I don't understand it. You know, it doesn't have to be Braden McNabb and Keaton Colas are every game. Mm-hmm. Hell, even Will Carey needs to get in there, too. I haven't seen him. He hasn't been anything. But, uh, you know, the, the first line and everything like that, they, they need to put some juice, man. I need to see it. It's looking like a Raider lackluster offense like I've seen many times before. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of felt like that, you know, showing the Vegas connection. And I just I don't understand. This team needs to wake up. And they need to just throw pucks at the net. They gotta, they gotta get under their skin, JT. I didn't mm. see a team with fire, and I didn't like that. I really, really hope that you know the guys in that room can mm. you know come together and just look at the tape from the past game. I don't know if they burned it or not, but they gotta wake up, man, because that was a piss poor performance. If they turn anything like that out again, I'm gonna be very worried. They're not playing like the team that won first overall in the Western Conference, JT. They gotta right. play with some heart, play with fire. Just win, baby. Thank you. Thanks for having a pulse today. I needed a pulse in here, and uh, you gave it to me there. you got to do something, and there's so many players on this team. Riley Smith, William Carlson, Jonathan Marceso has disappeared. Uh, One of the better snipers who can get hot. He's got to get going. Look, there's a lot of players on the Golden Knights. Once you get to 31, 32 years old, you get to that point where you could be declining. There's going to be a big shakeup here if this team doesn't win this series. They mortgage their future to get a lot of players, and Jack Eichel's the key. Jack Eichel is a really expensive player. So is Mark Stone. We've seen some heart out of Mark Stone. Eichel's got an empty net goal. That's about it. He's not skating great. He's nowhere near the level of Dreisaitl or Connor McDavid, and he's supposed to be. That's why Vegas went all in on Jack Eichel. You know why? Because Dreisaitl and McDavid weren't available. Those guys aren't available in a trade. You can't get them. So that's the problem here as we continue. I'm worried. I really am worried uh, with the Golden Knights here because I was in the building. I was in the building, and that game was over five minutes into the game, and there was no intention of coming back and making it a game. A lot of people were disappointed walking out. I stayed till the end for obvious reasons. I didn't go to the locker room, but I stayed to the end, and there were fans walking out of there like zombies, and the sun was still out. You know, the sun, 4 o'clock start, the left, the 4 puck drop. They weren't ready to go. We're brought to you by Virgin Hotels Las Vegas. Go check out their great restaurants, their concerts at the theater, and all the entertainment they have. Virgin Hotels Las Vegas.
Well, here's the 2-2. And the pitch is lined deep to left center field. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. Another Judgian blast. He hit the ball just where the bullpen began at 376. That was Judge when he plays. Problem is Judge doesn't play much anymore, and the Yankees are back, and they're really far behind double digits, Tampa, after the series that came back. JT, back with you. Thanks for listening. Mike Florio alert. Mike Florio at the bottom of the hour from Pro Football Talk. We'll get back to the NFL, but I have a guest joining me, kind enough to get back to us. Kyle Glazer joins us from Baseball America, their senior writer. Kyle, appreciate some time today. Thank you so much in advance. I just played a Judge home run. The problem is he's not playing. What's the message for the Yankees coming out 10 games back at Tampa and some adjustments they're going to have to make eventually to get back into this? Look, the Rays are the best team in the American League East and, frankly, the best team in baseball. The Yankees and everyone else are looking up at them. They're the standard now that the Yankees are going to have to go after. Are the Yankees struggling because of the injuries here, or you just don't think, even if they were healthy, they'd be a step behind Tampa Bay? Because a lot of Yankees are out. The pitching staff is clobbered with injuries. There's no Stanton and Judge. There's no question the injuries are a big, big reason the Yankees are so far behind the Rays. But I think we have to keep in mind now, the Rays have, you know, especially head-to-head, held their own against the Yankees for a few years in a row. And some of it is Mm -hmm. they just play cleaner baseball. You know, the Yankees have had a lot of issues defensively um, with, you know, with – with errors and other just kind of mistakes on the base paths everywhere else. The Rays play clean baseball, and that goes a long, long way, and it's really you know helped them become a great team now that they have a mass talent to go with playing good baseball. Uh, staying in the American League here, and I want to move on to what we're seeing out west with Otani and Trout and where they're at because, again, the elephant in the room is what do you do with Otani long-term? I don't think he wants to stay in Anaheim. I think he's going to go to a bigger market and a better team. But how competitive are they when they're both out there? And the rest of that team staying in the hunt and doing their job so Otani and Trout can shine? I mean, so far, they've done okay. You know, the American League Mm -hmm. West, no one is off to a great start. The Mariners are Astros. But the thing with the Angels is they've consistently struggled depth-wise over the course of a long season. There's been a few times they've started out okay, and then at some point when injuries hit, they just don't have the guys to get through a full 162-game season. So the starting rotation is okay. They have a little bit of an issue at the back. The lineup has some games where it's better than others, but it's not a great lineup. And the bullpen's a little bit of a weak spot. So, you know, we'll see. If they can just hang around in in an American League West that no one's running away from, you know, in maybe they'll, they'll sneak into the playoffs. But it's a long season, and we have to see how they hold up over the course of 162 because that's what's gotten them the past few years. Kyle Glazer's our guest, does a great job for Baseball America, senior writer. So staying out west in the National League, Dodgers beat the Padres Sunday 5-2. to two. And I had some buddies who were there, lives in San Diego, and usually the Dodger fans overrun that ballpark. I mean, I'm talking 25,000 fans. Not the case now. San Diego's protecting their dirt. They got a good lineup, a good team overall, but they're still looking up. They're still three games back of the Dodgers in the loss column. What do you think of both teams here? I'll start with the Padres and trying to keep everybody healthy and get Soto going. Soto, if he doesn't hit for a higher average here and be more productive, that's a bad deal going forward for them. I got to think they're going to move on from him at some point if he can't, st- if he can't hit his weight. 
Look, I mean, Juan Soto has hit under 230 with an under 400 slugging percentage since joining the Padres. That's not what you want when you acquire Juan Soto. He's getting on base, but he's got a hit for average. He's got a hit for power. And look, he's not a free agent until after next season, so he has mm-hmm. enough time to kind of turn it around. It's not like it's this year, but there's no question he's been a disappointment. At, you know, in terms of the Padres-Dodgers, these are two really, really good teams. The series was competitive. We saw the Padres yeah. had it you know, two outs of the night. Bookie bets hits the game-tying homer. Dodgers won in the 10th. All these games the last couple of years have been full of drama and then tense and close. I expect it to remain that way throughout the entire year. Uh, Kyle, the Cardinals got a win, but they are really struggling. 11-24, and 24, nine games behind the Pirates. Uh, the Pirates and the Brewers in the loss column. Do you expect a shake-up here? with the Cardinals or the assets that they have. I don't know much about their minor leagues the way you would and how they're going to be able to fix this because they're holding down the basement there and it's not even close in the central. Yeah, this has been the early surprise of the season in terms of things you didn't expect from a negative perspective. They have a lot of talent in the major leagues and they have a really good farm system, a lot of good players underneath the majors as this organization typically does. Um, things are not clicking. We saw them remove William uh, Contreras uh, or Wilson Contreras, excuse me, uh, from being their primary catcher, which is obviously not great considering they gave him a five-year deal worth uh, eighty-seven and a half million dollars. So they're starting to shake up some roles, but there's no question there, there's going to be more if they don't turn this around soon. But this team is too talented to be playing like they are, and uh, we'll see if they can start you know playing like that before it's way too late. It, it might already be too late, but. Uh, if they can turn around now a little bit, you know, we'll see. Kyle, the Mets are 17 and 18, seven back of Atlanta. I don't, it reminds me of the Yankees chasing Tampa Bay. I think the Mets are going to be chasing Atlanta all year. I don't think they're going to catch them. I think Atlanta's the better team. We'll see what Verlander and Scherzer, when they get their groove and they're 100% healthy. But what's the difference basically with the Mets and the Braves? It looks like the Braves lineup is much more consistent, younger, and I think they have a couple more stars than the Mets have. How do you see it? Look, the Braves are the five-time defending NL East champion. The Mets are the mm-hmm. team that a lot of people get excited about, but the Braves are the team that holds the belt right now. And, look, they have a better, deeper lineup, and their pitching staff is better. Uh, the Mets are 16th in the majors in run score. They're 22nd in the RA. They're playing like a, a middle-to-below-average team in the major leagues right now. The Braves consistently hit. They've got good arms. They have a good farm system where guys come up and contribute right away. We saw that with Michael Harris and Spencer Strider last year. Um, the Braves are just, you know, kind of functioning at a high level as an organization right now as, you know, one of the best in baseball. The Mets are, are looking up at them, not the other way around. I think people forget that sometimes. Kyle Glazer, Baseball America, as we wrap it up. He was before your time, but I saw a retweet for you on Vita Blue. Six-time All-Star, three-time World Series champ, 209 wins. I think that 24-8 and eight record's unbelievable, and the complete games, he had 24 that year. Can you explain with the work that you do and your peers when you think of the stats and how you compare them? Because there's going to be no one that ever has 24 complete games in a season. Some might never have half of that in their career. And Vita Blue was able to do that in the pitchers of that era. How do we look at that era and compare it to this era? Because in the 70s, those guys went the distance. They never turned it over to a bullpen unless they were getting beat and they were getting pulled from the game. Yeah, I mean, look, it's very, very difficult to compare across errors. That's true in any discipline, not just baseball. But I think you appreciate that even within his era, Vida Blue was one of the best, and he has the hardware to back it up. Um, you know, he was a great pitcher for a long time and a key part of some really good A's teams. And 
uh, definitely a part of baseball lore in a lot of ways. So uh, even though you're right, he is before my time. I certainly mm. grew up hearing about Vital Blue, knowing who Vital Blue was and, and the impact he had on the A's franchise and just some of the, the cool things he did for baseball as a whole in the 70s, his style, his personality, all of it. So uh, he was a great player, and, and I think you can appreciate that without having to try and compare mm. then and now. Nicely said, Kyle. Good to talk to you again. We'll have you again on again down the road. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. Kyle Glazer, fantastic. We were able to get some Vita Blue talk in with him. Uh, still waiting for a Raider fan who saw Vita Blue play and had the impact that he had not only on the East Bay, but the Bay Area as Vita played for the Giants and the Royals. But his years with Oakland were absolutely incredible. And the fact that the owner at the time did not want to reward Vita Blue and Reggie Jackson and Sal Bando and Catfish Hunter for the money that they deserved at the time, it's remarkable. All they had to do was just reward those players and give them market deals at the time. Bump them up and give them reward money for winning the MVP, the Cy Young, playing in all the games and being a world champion multiple times over. And the owner didn't want to do that. And the owner was really cheap when it came to that. And that's the problem with the A's now that I have. The A's have one of the richest owners in all of sports, and all of baseball at least, one of the richest owners out there, and he doesn't want to spend any money. doesn't want to spend any money up in Oakland. So more and more people come up to me, and I'm, I'm finding it. It's not a hard thing because I, I support the Raiders. This is not the A's flagship station, so I'm not going to give the A's any coverage at all other than, other than my general sports talk opinions because I do general sports talk. That's what I do. As Tom Looney, my partner, said, I thought it was a great idea. There's classic rock. We consider ourselves classic sports talk because we talk about the history of the game. And when I'm talking about the A's today in Vita Blue, I'm talking about 71. I'm talking about 73, 74. I'm not talking about the A's team now that's not competitive playing in the East Bay and can't draw 3,000 fans a game. So I'm, I'm out in the public a lot. And I talk to sports fans, and they ask me, generally, what do you think of the A's? And I say, I don't work for the A's. I work for the Raiders. And the A's did the Raiders dirty in Oakland. They did. Did I say Mark Davis was perfect? Never have. Never once. Mark says he's not perfect. But Mark was negotiating with the A's on how to develop the Coliseum for both franchises and separate venues. And then the A's went around his back and Mark Bedane at the time, another friend of mine, and other people's back, and they negotiated a 10-year lease, which was the beginning of the end. Because I think Mark would have stayed in Oakland. Then Vegas opens up like a flower because never, no one ever thought sports was coming to, the, to Vegas when it came to baseball or especially the NFL, and it did. And now look at what the team's worth and look at the success of the team financially. Clearly the Raiders would like to win more games. That's the goal of the team is to win. But when it comes to a business model and what Mark did here compared to Oakland, what a legacy that's going to be. For Vegas compared to Oakland, and now Oakland has that place to themselves, and they don't know how to develop. The politicians are getting in the way when the A's should have had a slam-dunk deal in Oakland with the Warriors gone and the Raiders gone to do whatever they wanted up there, and they can't figure it out. Uh, is that Nash in Houston? Nash, thanks for calling in. What's happening? Gee, I got my Vita Blue story, but I'm a East Coast guy like you. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, you know, the A's always used to come to Yankee Stadium in August. Mm-hmm. And I went and saw Vita Blue pitch there, and I remember they had Vita Blue Day in New York. And if you could prove your last name was Blue, they let you in the ballpark for free. And uh, I just remember that it was it was a lot of fun as a kid watch the A's because again they were just the opposite of the Yankees with their mustaches and white shoes, 
versus uh, blacks, uh, black shoes and no uh, no uh, facial hair. And so I, I remember that, and that, that made me a baseball fan starting right there and started following the A's even as a, a guy growing up in New Jersey. Excellent. Appreciate the call. Thank you so much. And, yeah, that's a good storyline as we're covering the passing of Vita Blue. And a little bit before my time, but the numbers he put up in that 71 season, we will never see 24 complete games ever again. Always a pleasure when Mike Florio is able to join us. Really appreciate your time, Mike. And, Mike, I wanted to start off with what's going on with the Andrew Luck story with Jim Ursay. Is there anything there on tampering? Because I always thought it would be perfect for Luck to come back eventually and quarterback. Well, this is such a strange story, JT, because it was buried in a longer item on ESPN.com about why the commanders have so much faith in Sam Howell. And last year, 2022, after the commanders did not get an opportunity to trade for Matthew Stafford, they decided to be very exhaustive in their search for a quarterback. So they literally called every team looking for someone they could acquire just so they didn't miss out on an opportunity that they didn't know was there the year before. That's where the comment was made that they even checked in on Andrew Luck. Now, the story doesn't say that they talked to the Colts about Luck. Ultimately, they traded with the Colts for Carson Wentz. It just throws that out there. We wrote something about it last night, focusing on the Luck angle. Within 10 minutes, Jim Mercy has this angry tweet that anyone who dares to contact Andrew Luck is committing a violation of the tampering policy. This morning, ESPN reports, basically, nobody knows what happened. The Colts are looking into it. But given what occurred, what we found out about right before the draft with the Jonathan Gannon tampering by the Cardinals and the way that the league let the Eagles and the Cardinals figure that all out on their own, it really does create an incentive for teams that believe they've been victimized by tampering to make a big stink about it. Because if the end result is, hey, we get a higher draft position once this all works out, then so be it. So I think it was a situation where Jim Irsay applied the old ready-fire-aim approach Mm -hmm. before checking with his people. My guess is the commanders did ask the Colts properly about luck, that they didn't talk to luck directly. But it adds a little spice in a slow window right after the draft to have Jim Ursay on Twitter on Sunday night <laughs> making accusations of tampering. And it would be tampering, even though he's retired and he's been retired, it would be tampering because he's still under contract with the Colts. Mike, I know it's hard to guess this, but do you see luck coming back because of the enormity of the money? It's We're going to 50, we're going to 60 million. He hasn't taken hits. If he doesn't take hits for three or four years, and the money is alarming, and he could come back and do that for three, four, five years at this rate, do you ever see a window for him to come back? Well, you know, it's funny. Remember when Barry Sanders retired abruptly in mm-hmm. 1999, and that specter of him returning refused to go away there was always this sense he's going to come back he's going to come back and he just never did with luck there's never been any sense that maybe he'll change his mind maybe he'll come back maybe he will but you're right the money keeps going up and up and up and the game keeps getting safer and safer the extent that he retired because of the hits he had taken and the accumulation of the injuries and what that process was doing to him just from a a mental health standpoint, if that really was part of it. And I I can't blame anyone that just gets to the point where they say, wait a minute, I work to get myself healthy. I go out there, I get thrown around, I get hit, I get injured again. I have to work myself to get healthy and it keeps going. As the game gets safer and safer for quarterback, Mm -hmm. maybe there's a point where you say, I think I can play. 
and keep myself healthy and make ridiculous money and do it for a few years and then walk away again, or at least just come back and try and see if it's any different. And if it, and if it isn't, then, then walk away again. But it wouldn't shock me. I, it, it's amazing to me that that just isn't on anyone's radar screen as a possible outcome, but it wouldn't shock me if at some point he decided to give it a try. He's only 33 years old. Yeah, that's the point there. He's still young. Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk. Mike, over the years, knowing you, you know my relationship going back with Bruce Allen and John Gruden and the Raiders connection and knowing them both. And I, I just say this about Daniel Snyder. I know a lot that's going on behind the scenes, and you've been privy to the great information you put out. I said he's never going to go away quietly. He's going to go away really hard because he's a fan. He loved this brand before he bought it. He loved the team. It didn't work out. He's made so many mistakes along the way. But I still think it's going to be difficult for him to take that number, and it's a big one, and go away quietly. That's just not part of his DNA. What's the update on this? Well, there is just something odd about the way the NFL is trying to nudge him out. They're using an unprecedented process of approving the Josh Harris purchase of the commanders in stages, preliminary approval before the deal is finally done. There's a level of anxiousness to make this happen before Dan Snyder changes his mind. Now, from the organization's perspective, he's gone. It's over. They cleared out in December. The Snyders are gone. I've heard he lives in England now. So the the break has been made physically. Making the break mentally and financially is a different thing. Until he accepts that final offer and puts his name on the paperwork and transfers the equity, there's always a chance he's going to change his mind. And I think everyone has that hesitation that Daniel Snyder still has another curveball or two that he's going to throw at someone or at everyone before he walks away. Absolutely. Wrapping it up with Mike Florio. Mike, I haven't talked to you since Lamar Jackson made his decision to take the deal. You have a piece at the website. Lamar made a mature decision accepting the Ravens deal. Take us behind the scenes when he finally looked at the numbers, the guarantee, maybe the lack of guarantee, but not an agent fee where this number finally made sense. Well, it made sense, I think, after the Jalen Hurts contract. That seemed to break the fever dream that Lamar Jackson had that he was going to get at the Sean Watson contract. As more and more of these contracts piled up that weren't fully guaranteed, like Deshaun Watson's was, I think at some point you just have to recognize, hey, and the example I've been using was if he has a car he's trying to sell for $50,000 and no one's going to offer him more than 30000 for it, at some point you're either taking thirty or you're not selling your car. And I think having Odell Beckham Jr. around made a difference. I wouldn't be surprised if when the final story is written on this, there was, wasn't some involvement by Beckham in trying to talk sense into Lamar Jackson to get him to realize this is as good as it's going to be. And when you look at the deal that he got, it was really the offer that he rejected last September with some, some significant enhancements by the Ravens, even though he did get injured in December and didn't play again the rest of the year. I didn't know that offer was going to be back on the table. They put that offer back on the table, and they sweetened it, and it really was something that it would have been foolish for him to say no to. And, and look, it worked out well for him to not have an agent at the end of the day, but we spelled it out on the website as well. You take him all the way back to his rookie year. If you give him an agent from before he was even drafted, he may get drafted higher. He'll have better endorsement deals than what he's got. He would have gotten his contract sooner, made more money along the way. Yes, it all worked out now, but that doesn't become a ratification of the approach because I think he still left money on the table even after paying the agent fee 
that he would have had if he had been represented from day one. Mike, your colleague and teammate, Peter King, I'm in Vegas, had access to the Raiders draft. He's had that before in his career. First time Dave Ziegler had a real draft with a first and second round pick and the way the Raiders went about it and the access that you saw Peter King have. Overall, what do you think, considering what they've done? They said goodbye to Carr, they bring in Jimmy Garoppolo, and they're trying to get smarter, faster, more explosive players in that division. Other regimes tried too, and it didn't work out. Do you think this is the right group now after you take a look at their draft? Well, they were fortunate that Tyree Wilson fell to number seven. His window was two to seven, and the bottom, obviously, is where he ended up. So that's good for the Raiders because he could have gone as high as number two. Getting Michael Mayer trading up to make that move. Look, I love the kid. I love watching his tape. He's like a big, burly basketball player out there trying to go get the football. He's fun to watch. But, you know, you always come back to the division the Raiders are in with the Chiefs and the Chargers, and who knows what the Broncos are going to be with Sean Payton. There's a chance they're going to be a lot better than they were last year. It's just a tough spot to compete in. It's a tough conference to compete in. People think the Jets got Aaron Rodgers as some sort of an all-in move to get to the Super Bowl. I think it's just a way for them to stay afloat. Mm-hmm. I think that there's no lock that they're making the playoffs this year. I mean, it is a tough, tough conference. It's a tough road. It's a tough one for the Raiders. It's a tough one for pretty much every team in the AFC. So I still feel like it's going to take some time for the Raiders to get to where they're trying to go. Mike, last one, schedule release coming up on Thursday. How they try to draw revenue out of that in the future because of the draft and moving it from city to city. Uh, Reports now that there'll be a Black Friday game and the international games overall. Do you think the NFL is still trying to kind of wiggle with this and understand how important of a day it is. That's when fans and you're a fan get airline tickets, they get hotel rooms, and now there's flexing and all this going on. How important is this day for the NFL offseason coming up? Well, it's critical if it does happen on Thursday. Peter King mentioned today there's a chance that it's not going to happen on Thursday because some of the big ticket tent pole games had yet to be decided. And this is the first year that the the presumption that CBS has the AFC games and Fox has the NFC games just goes away. It's all open season. Any network can get any game at any time. And so with the Jets becoming the most attractive option this year with all the great games they have, they play the Eagles, the Chiefs, the Cowboys, the Giants, six games in the division that will all be compelling. You've, You've got a bunch of different people who I assume are pulling and pushing in different directions to get these games. And the thing to keep in mind, Next week is when the networks do their upfront presentations to advertisers. Mm -hmm. I think they want to be able to show their slate of games as they're harvesting advertising dollars. That's another reason for the NFL to get this done this week. So the networks will know when it's time to go hat in hand to the advertisers, here's the games we're going to deliver to you this year. Thank you, Mike. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks, pal. All right, Mike Florio, how about that? So that might not happen Thursday. That's pretty exclusive. Save that bite for the other shows. Uh, I think it will happen Thursday. It's an important day, but it seems like they're trailing. It seems like they're really trailing where they need to be here and how they're going to figure this out going forward. So here's what now, Bobby, my blood doesn't boil. Well, when it gets a little bit hotter is when they talk about the Jets. So I, I, I opened up the show talking about how the Raiders get screwed with their schedule in the primetime games. Just because the Jets got Aaron Rodgers, they got to be on primetime? Yeah, that's what they're going to do. Aaron Rodgers is a pivotal piece to the NFL marketing. 
Aaron Rodgers. Did you see him at the Kentucky Derby? He was holding court with all uh, Devontae Adams. Everyone was there. Patrick Mahomes. Aaron Rodgers front and center there. So that's, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to give the Jets three national games? You know they're going to get a Thursday game. Would you give the Jets a Sunday night home game? Would you give them a Monday night game? Yeah, they're probably going to do that. Mike Florio just told you that. All because of Aaron Rodgers. So that's important uh, going forward here. And the schedule release is a really important day for Raider fans for a number of reasons. Because I tell you, we're partnering with the Black Hole, which I'm proud of here. All we're doing with the Black Hole is getting out their dates. You know, when I sat down and met with the Black Hole, we were talking about what's, what's the partnership going to look like. And they do a lot of events. They have release parties. They have games night before, shuttles to the game, all that. I said, yeah, whatever I can do to help. And that's football's most notorious fan base. But the guys inside that world who I know well, Cisco and Mark and Gorilla Rilla, Senior, Violator, those guys have jobs. They have lives. They have families. You know, Gorilla Rilla has this unbelievable landscape architecture company. Do you know that? He can come in, and he does a lot of it in the Bay Area, and redesign your backyard and do all this. And then he gets on a plane and goes to every game. That's hard, and he comes to Vegas for every game. That requires partnerships, money, the ability to, you know, have a deal with one company, a beer deal, right? Yay, where's Gorilla Rilla going to be? Oh, he's going to be at the Palms. They have a a viewing party the night before the game. And these gentlemen and women go out in the black hole and they buy hotel rooms and tickets and put on parties in other cities, all with what's coming up on Thursday. What's coming up on Thursday, the schedule release. Now, what games do you want to go to? God, and I'm going to be, uh, I'm, I'm happy I'm going to be at my son's graduation. But that's the show when they put that together. I wasn't going to tell my wife, no, I'm staying home for schedule release. That wasn't going to go over well, nor do I want to. It is a, one of the biggest days in the history of my life, my son's graduation, uh, Friday and Saturday. And I'm sitting here go, looking at the schedule release. What games are most important? Well, I live in Vegas and doing the pre and post game. Pretty busy days on Sunday. I think the Packers and the Steelers and the Jets and the Giants are really big because they're all winnable games. Pittsburgh isn't great. The Giants aren't great. The Jets will be improved. Denver's still down, right? You look at uh, Green Bay. What a trade-off, too. It would be great to have Green Bay and not the Jets. Here's why. The Jets get Aaron Rodgers. That makes the Jet game really difficult because Aaron Rodgers. But the Green Bay game should be easier getting Jordan Love instead of Aaron Rodgers. So I'm definitely going to pick them to win both or split those games. You would hope that would happen. But for the Raider fans to travel to Miami, the game that I'm looking forward to the most, which is a hall pass that I get every year when it happens, is the Buffalo game. I went to college in upstate New York. A lot of my fraternity brothers are from Buffalo, those who are listening, and they do listen to the show. And when I get a chance to go to Buffalo, I get to reconnect with about 30 or 40 guys that I really care about. And they come to the game. Some of them are Bills fans. Or Raider fans, we get together the night before the game, have some wings at Anchor Bar, throw down some cervezas, and have a good time. And again, they're blowing me up thinking that game's going to be in London. And if that game's going to be in London, that's a bad beat for me. I'd rather go to Buffalo this year and see my buddies in a warmer weather game. But maybe the Buffalo game or whatever, some of these other games. I look at weather. The Raiders are now an indoor dome team. They are. When they were in Alameda, you had some rain, you had some mud games. But now they're basically a track team that plays indoor in Las Vegas. I look at the winter games first. When are we playing in Denver? How cold is that game going to be? How cold are the games going to be that are outdoor teams that aren't playing in the Dome? And the Raiders got to evolve to be better outside too. 
But I like where the Raiders are this year coming off the draft. I just talked to the great Tom Hum in our break room, brothers to David Hum, former Raider quarterback, and he asked me, what do you think about the schedule release? And I think the same thing. Normally for me, it's a pretty happy day. It's a celebration, but it's kind of a negative day too because I usually walk away from the schedule release pissed off, pissed off about something. I don't like a game or I don't like what they did to us, the season ticket holders. I'm a Las Vegas Raider fan. I love them a lot in Oakland too, but you know what I think about Vegas. And I hope Vegas gets rewarded for building this jewel in the desert on the casino corridor with all these hotels and get us a couple of more primetime games. I think Mark Davis deserves it. And beat guarded by Tatum. Left-hand dribble into the lane at the dotted circle. Double-teamed out to Harden. Three-point shot for the lead is good. Harden converts. 18 seconds to go. James Harden for three. He's got 42. But I believe he was saying after review, the play is the shot was taken after the clock. It's official. The Sixers have won. 116-115. At Sixers Radio on the call, JT, back with you. James Harden's playing well. Devin Booker. How about Devin Booker? The last two games for Phoenix. Oh, my God. He was 20 of 25 in a game. He's a guard. I mean, this scoring percentage, and I think the Celtics, Bobby, I think your Celtics are in for a little bit of uh, I, I got the Celtics still winning there, but Tatum didn't take that game-winning shot, and he kicked it out to Marcus Smart, who didn't get the ball off in time. That's unacceptable. Tatum has got to take that shot. They're down one. If he's fouled, he wins the game on the free throw line. You don't make – he's the alpha. The bird wouldn't have passed it on the last play. No. He's got to take that shot. He's the best player on the team. Yeah, but you know what? If it was three, cents of a, three tenths of a second longer, we'd be, we'd be talking about Philly being down 3-1. I'm not worried. We've got game five in Boston. I think we're going to be just fine. I don't know how you – going to be just fine going up against the MVP and the way James Harden's playing. We damn near near beat the hell out of him yesterday in Philly. If it wasn't for three-tenths of a second, that game's over. Come on now. Well, I I think the momentum now, getting Embiid a little bit healthier, and the fact that Harden's playing that well, the the good news for Boston is Harden hasn't played well in Boston, Mm -hmm. per se, all the time. He plays better at home, but he had one game there that was interesting, but this is opening up really nice for Boston. Embiid isn't at 100%. All of the West is old or tired. Jokic is probably I, – I, I picked before the season. I don't know how I got this right. I picked before the season Denver and Boston. How many people have that and Boston winning? But both Denver, both Denver and, you know, and your team, they got some business to take care I of. Think, I think we're looking just fine at the all moment. All right, all right. Just fine. I'll remember that. Robert in Portland. Thanks for wrapping up the show, Robert. How are you? Uh, I wanted to tell you a little – um, that Monday night in September of uh, 70, my buddies and I were driving up down East 14th on the strip, and we were listening to part of the game. And it was obvious Jim Perry and Vida were going at it. And as it got to around the sixth inning, you know, it was, it was no hitter. Mm-hmm. He'd only walked one guy. And the Twins had already wrapped up the American League. But, you know, 
we barreled over there, got in the back lot, and uh, they, they weren't guarding the uh, back gate. We went right on in the game. We saw the end of it when he struck out Tobart in the game. And he got his first uh, no-hitter. He it was only his second game, I think, he pitched that year. Uh, he was mm-hmm. 1-0. and So he was 2-0 and at the end of that game. But he was special, always smiling. Mm-hmm. You know, you were, you, you're right. The guy was just special. Uh, he made a couple mistakes in life, yes. but more than made it up. But uh, thanks for mentioning him. All of us that were around in those days really loved Vida. Yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate that. I'm not, don't thank me. I just tweeted out a picture of Vida and I at Fred Bolitnikoff's. I think it was two years ago when Vida was there. And, you know, he atoned for the mistakes that he made. Everyone atones for their mistakes. That's what you want to do. We've all made mistakes in life, and Vida was able to atone for that. You know, sometimes I take the world of sports radio too personally. And, you know, I watch a national radio show today on TV, and they don't mention Vida Blue. They don't mention it. Like, how do you not mention it? I don't know. I, I don't understand that. I'm never going to be a part of that clique that just can't take Because I got to fill five hours a day or three to four, whatever it is, certain days. I want to mention a hockey score. I want to mention Vita Blue passing. Dan Gilbert's son, the owner of the Cavaliers, died at 26. He was the good luck charm at the draft. I mentioned him last night. Why not? Why, why is it so hard to mention an athlete when they pass? You don't have to do three hours on it. I doesn't have to do that. We do that with the Raiders. If the Raiders lose a legend, I'll do a whole show on Cliff Branch or someone like that. But, I mean, nationally, it just takes words. Words are short. You can get a lot of words in. In, uh, in 10 seconds, you can say going into commercial, hey, by the way, rest in peace to Vita Blue, the former AL Cy Young Award winner, three-time World Series champ and MVP. We'll be back after that. They won't even do that. I don't know why. They just, uh, they're afraid. It's going to collapse the ratings? I don't get it at all. Hey, I'm double dipping all week this week. So I'm on right now from 4 to 7 p.m. on Sirius XM 82, Mad Dog Sports Radio. Keep it here to Q. Q's coming up right here. He's got a big show. I saw him earlier today. And then uh, tomorrow, I got three shows, four shows this week on Sirius XM before I split town on Thursday. So it's going to be a good week. we got a lot of good programming lined up. Schedule release, only place to listen to it is on the flagship of the Silver and Black. Great job, Bobby.